Hi, I'm Janet Deneef, founder and director of the Ubud Writers and Readers Festival. You are about to hear one of the highlight sessions of the 2021 event, which featured more than 150 storytellers and was explored through our theme, Mulat Sarira, self-reflection. So please settle in and let the magic of our 18th year continue. I'm very excited to be interviewing Pat Hilma Farid today. And... uh, yeah, he's involved in this project uh, in a place I'm extremely fond of. But first, I'll introduce you to him. Ma'af if I'm speaking Basse English. Yeah? <laughs> uh, born in Germany, Hilma Farid is Indonesia's Director General of Culture, Ministry of Education, Culture, Research and Technology. He's an artist, activist, writer, musician. Yeah? I found a photo of him on the internet with long hair. Look like a rock star, who has spent his life invested in cultural activities. I guess you call him a Renaissance man, yeah? He co-founded the Cultural Work in Jakarta. He led the Indonesian Institute of Social History. He co-formed the New Jakarta Movers Volunteers and the the Indonesian Institute of Social History. Uh, You're involved in the Asian Regional Exchange for New Alternatives. Excuse my mask. I mean, how impressive is that? I mean, these guys just don't just sit around, yeah? They're actually doing things. And, and then he was the editor of the Inter-Asia Cultural Studies Society. You also set up another magazine because he didn't quite have enough to do. And then more recently in 2014, he's, he's written a number of books, by the way, but his latest publication was Rewriting the Nation, Promudia and the Politics of Decolonization. I mean, that's a serious subject. So, uh, welcome, Pat Hilmar. I'm always a bit nervous interviewing people with giant minds like this, you know. (laughs) I'm good at cooking and that's about it. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, we're here to talk about uh, the Spice Islands uh, and uh, Bandanera, yeah, a place that uh, I visit normally every year. And I wanted to talk about your project, uh, Jalor Rimpa, the, the whole um, investment in the spice trail and what it is that, that you plan to do. So can you just start telling us a bit about your project and the fact that uh, you aim to include the spice trail as UNESCO World Heritage and what your, yeah, what your plans basically are for that part of Indonesia? Yeah. Well, yeah, first of all, uh, thank you for inviting me to um, sit in this session at the Ubud. Writers and Readers Festival, a very important festival, and congratulations that now we're in your 18th year, which is, uh, I think, um, a very important uh, for us here in Indonesia. So about the project itself, um, we started like five years ago in uh, 2015, like thinking about um, the connections that Indonesia had in the past um, before colonial uh, times. So uh, Banda Island was chosen um, initially because of the dark history that it had. I mean, you will hear more about this from um, a very famous writer, Amitav Ghosh, uh, tomorrow. Um, but to make a long story short, so basically uh, Banda is known for its um, nutmeg. 
and because the uh, Dutch uh, colonial uh, rulers at that time, the VOC, the company, um, basically like almost nearly exterminated the entire population of Banda 400 years ago, like 1621. Um, and we then thought um, there must be history before that, like before that incident and before colonial rule, and that's what we, are, uh, we were interested in. And by looking at the Spice Islands in, um, in Maluku, we then found very interesting information about the existing uh, existence of a, um, a trade network, like a maritime trade network that existed for 2,000 years already. And what is interesting, if we talk about the colonial period, then mostly we will have remains of buildings, um, fortresses, and all that. But for the pre-colonial period, um, the evidences that we have to reconstruct that trail is basically language, yeah? the linguistic connections that um, the Austronesian-speaking world had, and I think I mean before us, uh, before in the previous session has already mentioned that. Um, and then secondly, you would look at rituals, very interesting rituals and similarities. Sound, uh, there is a very strong gong culture um, throughout this archipelago, which existed for 5,000 years already, and which still has influence on modern music today. So all of these um, intangible cultural heritage, what interested us, like, um, and then um, drove us to do more research uh, involving more people, and we are moving away a little bit from the conventional experts, archaeologists, anthropologists, to linguistics, people working with oral tradition, the local maestros of all these traditions, which are very important uh, resource for that. So um, what we then are trying to do is to combine the tangible cultural heritage dimension with the intangible one. So it is now the, the activities are like equally divided between the attempt to do some physical reconstruction. That's what we are doing. I mean, that's the job of our office. But at the same time, we also organize festivals around these like um, um, cluster of islands and trying to bring to reconnect. So the, the, the issue really is like reconnecting. Um, uh, cultures that have been divided uh, by different phases of like colonialism, modernity, and all that, and uh, which is like uh, very interesting because like 1621, almost the, enti the entire population was like driven away from Bandam, no, became exiles like migrants in Kei, in Seram, in Aru, and then they, in those places, they actually maintained that cultural identity. They preserve the languages, the rituals, and all that, which um, in Banda itself is practically unknown after the incident. No? So our job the, uh, is to organize like events, rituals, combining it with festivals to make it interesting, um, not only for the population itself, but also for the outside world, um, and then, then try to develop programs from there. Uh, it's really beautiful no? to see um, how it actually um, grows and develops um, beyond our own expectation. No? Because 
we didn't expect there'd be such strong links, no? like cultural links, um, which I think is also a proof that um, when we talk about Spice Road, um, it goes way beyond or before uh, the colonial times, like it, it dates back even to 2,000 years ago. No? And then this is what we want to um, bring to the surface. And then we are thinking now in 2024 uh, to nominate it as a World Heritage, uh, World Heritage at UNESCO. So that's the, 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 um, like the um, immediate uh, objective no? in 2024. But in the long run, we are hoping that uh, people can actually like, reconnect their cultural um, uh, resources um, yeah, and think about the future from there. How many people have been to Bandanera no. in the audience? <laughs> Nina came with me last time. You've been, haven't you, Carol? Oh, Carol. Only three of us. Oh, I see you've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you're familiar with the cluster of islands, it's a very small uh, cluster of islands. I mean, you can actually basically spend three days visiting all these islands you know, if the sea is uh, calm enough. No? Um, but I think in terms of historical importance, this is uh, sometimes overlooked. Um, for example, it was the first um, really colonization, um, settler colonialism, so to say, yeah, which uh, almost annihilated the entire population. So yeah? in, we call that genocide, because that was in Amateur's yeah, book yeah, too. Yeah. Like, at what point do you acknowledge that actually it was genocide? It was a genocide, yeah, because it was based on the idea that basically the thinking was that we want the island, but we don't want the people on that island, right? <laughs> we want the resources that's on that. Um, that's, um, um, I think, very significant in history. The second one is the plantation system that was later on copied in different other areas, like Latin America, including Indonesia itself, Southeast Asia. But the first model was actually Banda, yeah, where you had, like, you clear the land, and then you really organize um, economic production according to what you think is best, you know, as from the perspective of, of the administration. Yeah? And that never happened before. Yeah? Later on, it was like copied in different areas, but it started really actually in Banda. So uh, by looking at this painful history, I mean, we're also trying to find ways and how to deal with that. I mean, until now, I mean, it's like 400 years ago, right? But I was in Banda in March, uh, and I spoke at the university um, about the history of Banda. And there was a small performance, like um, re-enacting um, the massacre of uh, the Orangkaya Banda that took place in 1621. No? So it's still there, but um, it seems it hasn't really progressed in terms of finding the language and how to deal with that. It's still like really black and white, right? I mean, there's the bad um, Dutch colonial uh, administration with the help of some Japanese, uh, what you call that, like samurai? Ronin. Ronin, um, who did the execution itself, and then the powerless uh, victims, people of Banda. 
And I think we should also shift this narrative a little bit. No? They were not helpless. Yeah? They resisted for many, many years. They actually moved to the small island of, Ai, uh, of Run, yeah? if you remember that, which was an, at that time under British rule. Um, and then they organized the resistance towards the Dutch from there. So there are little pieces of information missing in this story, which I think is now important to bring up in order also to build, rebuild the confidence of the people. So you're not like um, helpless, defeated victims. You played an active role, um, and you are now also expected to play an active role for your own future. You know? Because the idea of being defeated, being a victim, is like uh, spread out in the archipelago. You know? That feeling of being uh, unable to cope with all these developments, be it colonial or even our uh, own uh, national uh, modern development. No? So, um, for me, it's very important uh, for us to find ways of dealing with these um, past injustices no? in order really to have a stronger stand today, and which would enable you to think better about your uh, future. So otherwise, um, I think if you go anywhere here, you will hear stories about um, loss, defeat, um, uh, victim, and all that, korban pambangunan, like victims of development, yeah? which basically, if you listen to these stories, are like um, reproduction of the old stories about being under colonial rule and, and, and so on and which I think um, has becoming more and more unproductive I mean, for us, yeah. And, yeah. So, so if you achieve uh, World Heritage or uh, mm. UNESCO status, is the next step to develop uh, some sort of sustainable tourism or some... Yes. Yeah. Well, and and yeah. so on the island itself, will there be, like, um, landmarks? Because... Last time I was in Bandanera, I found the place where the execution of the Orangkaya was. I didn't know that before. And there's so many landmarks there, and there's cannons on the side of the road. And there's, I mean, will you have like a, a map that directs people to all these um, landmarks, etc.? Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, in that sense, uh, Banda, uh, the heritage buildings are still very much intact from the 19th century, you know? So you still have these like beautiful fortresses, like the houses are like uh, beginning to rumble yeah. a little bit, but they're still there. And they will be included for sure um, in the nomination for the uh, World Heritage. Um, and as you said, like we are now thinking about um, like a sustainable approach to this, you no? Know? Like sustainable heritage management. Of course, tourism is very a core of that uh, a process, but it's not only that. You know? um, because anywhere in the world, world heritage, once they got the status of a world heritage, then it will tourists will flock in and then yeah, over um, power basically the po local population. And uh, we are very um, careful with that. No, we don't want to create another 
like a tourist site which is like uh, would alienate the local people themselves no so trying to develop like a <clears throat> more sustainable approach to that and um, the bringing in not only the cultural heritage side but also uh, natural heritage because Banda is one of the most important sites um, of, of um, coral reefs. Now you have a very um, beautiful uh, coral reef, like um, what you call that? Yeah. Yeah. Snorkeling or diving? What you yeah, um, yeah, atolls. Or yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. But <laughs> that's it. Like, yeah, like, uh, like, and very large. Yeah. And <clears throat> in terms of marine resources, it's also one of the most um, diverse. Um, sites in the in the uh, archipelago. So, uh, but little has been said about that. I mean, I read a report by the Coral Triangle uh, Initiative about the islands, and they say like in the last 20 years it has been decreasing due to ignorance, basically, yeah, and no strong regulations and how to prevent that from um, diminishing. Uh, and yeah, so. Any attempt to uh, develop a sustainable approach to tourism in, in Banda should that take that into consideration, no? both the cultural and natural uh, elements that they that they have, and that's the, the that's the intention now. Yeah. I mean, I was really surprised um, when I was there because mm. um, you know, being uh, obsessed with Indonesian food, uh, you know, and eating as much as I can all the time, I tried uh, what they call sasate which is uh, like little falafels, like they're little uh, fish balls, actually, or fish patties. Uh. And when I ate one, I thought, oh, my God, this, it really tasted like Lebanese food or Middle Eastern food. Do you remember that, Nina? It, it's actually like fish or smoked tuna or something with canary nut, which is the sea almond that they use in their food and uh, a beautiful big tree, and ground with mint, local mint, and lots of cumin. I mean, that is so Middle Eastern. And so it just sort of indicates that uh, going back thousands of years, there was this exchange with uh, the Arab traders and the, the Chinese and, of course, yeah. other Indonesians. Uh, and that's extraordinary. But also I read that Indonesia is one of the oldest maritime cultures in the world. It is. I mean, um, one of the evidence for that is the outrigger canoe that you still can see here on the, um, the beach of Sanur, for example. I mean, you have these small canoes, and they are uh, proven to be have a very long history, going back to thousands of years. And the same technology is later on, uh, has been later on developed. I mean, we all have to remember that 50,000 years ago, um, this archipelago was basically uh, connected. Like Sumatra, Kalimantan, and Java was one, right? Uh, and then it was submerged underwater um, sometime around like 50,000 years ago. So the first anatomically uh, modern human yeah, um, developed this technology in this region. And why is that? Because it's only here, where you have the Wallace Line, yeah, where the land before the um, rising of the sea level yeah, were separated by uh, sea. It's only here, in this region. And that's why they, went, they were able to 
um, uh, go to Australia 60,000 years ago, yeah, before the um, rising of the sea level, because they had to uh, cross a certain um, distance in the sea, and they were developing this technology for that. And it's not actually not only the outrigger canoe, but also logistics. Yeah? The idea that you have to spend days, probably weeks, on the sea, and you have to prepare yourself, navigation technology. So we are actually talking about like extremely smart and brave people, uh, 60, 50,000 years ago, who were able to organize these trips and like spread out throughout the a very large geographical area. Uh, the Austronesian language is spoken also in Malag uh, Madagascar, right? In the eastern part of, of Africa, um, and up to the east uh, to Fiji. Yeah? So that's the geographical spread of the Austronesian people. And I think um, Banda, the Spice Islands, was at the time, like way before this, uh, the modern period, a very important hub. So now, uh, talking about the um, uh, landmark buildings, not only from the colonial period, but we are also doing like, archaeological uh, uh, excavations, trying to find remains from uh, like the pre-modern period, or even like before the common era, no? 2,000, uh, 3,000 years ago. It is interesting uh, what one can actually find in these sites. Like, uh, if you are doing archaeology, then you have, you have to dig deep into the uh, soil, right? And there you can really see, like, um, the layers yeah, of civilization that uh, existed before uh, what we are on what we are uh, today, you know? And it's very interesting, the findings, what animals that didn't exist, uh, in Banda, so they're brought from uh, abroad, from somewhere else, yeah? Plants that also uh, did not uh, exist in Banda before that. So there was a strong kind of like connection that they had at the time. Uh, and um, the archaeological evidences show that it goes um, straight to, to the uh, Sri Lanka, India, and so on. And then, uh, likewise, in Sri Lanka, there are now uh, findings of uh, nutmegs and also uh, clothes dating back from 5,000 years ago. And there are endemic plants here in the archipelago, so meaning that people were traveling already uh, during that period. Um, bringing all these like products you know, uh, to as far as Sri Lanka and also Egypt. So, yeah, and that's what we are trying to understand yeah, before we actually dominate it to, to, to UNESCO. I mean, um, you're talking about Tahiti. When I was in Hawaii, uh, they were calling coconut new, which they call it here, and I nearly fell off my chair because I'm like, that's Balinese. So, um, you know, there, there's those links right through to, yeah. to places like Hawaii. Yeah? Yeah. Um, you talked about uh, Sri Lanka and Madagascar, etc. So in your um, UNESCO plan, you said you were going to link up with them yes. and look at your kind of um, collective history and how to promote the whole spice trail. Yeah, yeah. it makes m uh, much more sense 
to do a joint nomination, like inviting, like an international uh, uh, nomination, really, you know, like bringing up, um, bringing together uh, countries uh, along these uh, routes. And we've uh, tried to identify uh, these uh, countries, there are no less than 20 actually, um, in the Indian Ocean alone, yeah. And if we extend the period into the colonial period, then cer certainly Europe is also part of that, no? Uh, and before the Suez Canal uh, was established, everyone had to go through South Africa, um, where you also have uh, Malay population in, in South Africa. Um, so it is really um, an ambitious <laughs> project trying to bring together so many countries into that. Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, discussions have, have started already. We are um, uh, talking and also um, doing things together with our counterparts in India and uh, the, the subcontinent and also the eastern part of Africa. Um, I just want to check. I, had a, I, I was trying to look for some sort of video to show you. I don't know if... Uh, Irma, bisa putar ya? Videonya bisa? Um, because I, yeah, I was, um, because Bandanera is basically above Australia, yeah? Yeah. If yeah. you look, I think it's just above, above Darwin, just this little network of islands in the, really in the middle of nowhere, yeah? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's another point, the fact that it's sheer remoteness is extraordinary in the fact that it was, as you said, it was a, a, a an economic hub or a hub of spices. And I mean, in a way, it changed the course of global economics or through the VOC. It did, it did, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, the VOC, when they first arrived here, um, their center of activity uh, was actually in the eastern part, Ambon, um, Banda included. And that's why, I mean, you have so many remains, uh, even up until today, and like most of them the eastern part of, of Indonesia. Um, but Zafia, because they, met, they were met with resistance uh, from the Javanese um, for some time, so Batavia actually came later. So Ambon was actually the first um, center of their uh, rule. So, that, I mean, that brings us to another point. If you want to develop tourism in a place like Bandanera, are you going to make it easy to get there? Because I know when we go there, we have to go to Jakarta, then maybe Sulawesi, or, you know, and we don't arrive till 12 hours later. So is there a plan to make the you know, transport situation a bit well, easier? Yeah, that's a that's inter very interesting question because I talk to the locals. I mean, there is now um, an airstrip. I mean, you, you can actually fly into Banda using that, these small 12, I think, for 12 passengers or so, no? these small uh, airplanes. And then I asked whether they have a plan to extend the airstrip. And I got a mixed reaction to that, because some said, like, well, just leave it like that, no? We don't want too many people come on, on these like, big jets and then like, overcrowd the, 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 the islands, no? Um, and to make it slow. And I think it fits very much um, with the idea of having a more sustainable approach to that, no? Yeah. Make it slow, yeah? yeah. 
slow down a little bit. I mean, do less. Yeah, just like enjoy more. Uh, not try to build too many things. Um, and then really try to look at the local potentials that uh, we have. I mean, there are many. But yeah, I think um, the idea really is to make it more uh, like a site where you, can, where you can visit not only for like a short period of time. It's not like Bali. Like Bali, you can flow, uh, fly in, in, in on Friday and then go back on the um, uh, Sunday. So, yeah. But accessibility is, is an issue. I mean, if, if the weather is not so good, uh, especially in uh, December, January, February, it's quite impossible to go there. I mean, it's a little adventurous. I mean, if you want to do uh, the trip, you have to use the Palnish ships and all that. But yeah. Um, so you talked about Bandanera, uh, but you also said you were going to run events around that region. What are the other places that you'll be doing events? Maybe I can show you here. This is Banda, no? Okay, okay, okay. Uh, just continue. So th these are the things that we uh, do. Uh, we organize workshops uh, for locals, so like photography, um, event organizing, etc. So really to, to, to build the capacity at the local level. No? Yeah. Back. I want you to talk about the volcano. Yeah, so, sorry. Okay. So this is the volcano, the Gunung Api, yeah, of Banda, which is, I think, um, from afar you can only see the Gunung Api. That's the first thing that you will see if you go by sea, you know. It's active, so in the 1980s it, uh, there was an eruption which also drove away uh, people from the islands, um, and then because uh, do we have a map? I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. But if you look at the map, I mean it's really a, a small cluster of islands, like islands surrounding uh, these um, um, volcano, you know. And it's a very important uh, part now. After the eruption in 1980s, then there was a, a lava. It goes straight into the sea, and this is the most beautiful diving spot uh, today. And corals are actually um, are growing on the, the on the cold lava. And, that, and that's, the ta that's the township at the base there, which is across from the yeah, yeah, Gunung Api. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's about the city in Banda, <laughs> that small uh, cluster of buildings uh, below that. Okay. Can you continue? So this is North Maluku. Um, this is what we do. Uh, we uh, organize workshops uh, for uh, event organizing and trying to look again about the old um, clothes, like the traditional clothes that they have. And it's interesting because you think that local people would know, but sometimes they don't. No, you really have to go into the archives, bring it, and then combine with the, what they know about it and try to find like new ways of um, uh, using the clothes and developing the clothes as well. So, yep, just next one. Next. This is Panjarmasin in South Kalimantan. Yeah, again, also workshops. Um, culinary, of course, food is very important in this uh, throughout the uh, uh, spice uh, route. And we 
do a lot of um, these workshops. Uh, and again, I mean, if you talk about like, like local food, you think that locals would know, but not all of them. It's actually also um, uh, in the hands of a handful of people with that kind of knowledge, and that, that's what we want to develop to have it more, um, to share with more people. And, yeah. so, so you include Kalimantan in your spice trail? Uh-uh. Yeah. Banjarmasin, the southern part. Why Banjarmasin? The language of Banjar is very similar to the language of Malagasy yeah, in Madagascar. Uh, I'm not a linguist, but yeah, um, basically shows the connection. Um, Banjar was a very important hub um, in the pre-colonial period uh, as well. Uh, these are festivals. I'm sorry we don't have photos, just the posters. But yeah, basically it gives you an idea what we are trying to do. So organizing um, events around the knowledge about the spice fruit. Yeah? And a very important element here is um, sometimes we overlook the fact that we, if we talk about spices, it's not only about plants but it's about the knowledge about plants, right? I mean, who knew before that there is a certain use of clothes, no? I mean, there must be, like, a first generation or the whoever started that, like, thinking about, like, what is the use of these uh, particular plants? So um, the spice root basically is also um, a root of civilization, of knowledge, yeah, which is now a bit kind of like overlooked, forgotten, neglected in a way. And I think Amitav uh, will talk about more about this, no? because when the Dutch came to Banda, they not only did they exterminate the population, but they only took what is interesting for them. No? The modern use of uh, nutmegs which were very, very limited, you know? Uh, and now we are trying to revive yeah, the a full knowledge of these uh, plants that are still existing. I mean, in, in households, you will find like, women, especially, I mean, like, they are the bearers of this knowledge, who would tell their daughters, uh, children, about the use of these uh, different plants uh, in their um, uh, surroundings, their environment, which is a very, very important practice, but has been largely neglected, forgotten, and all that. And we also think about the fact that uh, no less than 20% of products in the modern pharmacy are actually rooted in these indigenous knowledges. You know? So this is also uh, another dimension that we want to bring up. If you talk about the past you know, of or tradition of the Along the spice route, we are actually also talking about possibilities in the future. You know? The uh, alternative uses of these plants for nowadays, um, for nowadays use. You know? And yeah, the pandemic also uh, taught us, hopefully, yeah, that modern ways of living are simply um, half it, uh, their limits. You know? We really need to find a look at alternatives, and one of the important sources for knowledge is actually with us, like from tradition. Yeah, so that's another thing that we also want to bring up. Rio, yeah, this is Riau Island, Kapolawan Riau, also a very important hub 
back in the 10th, uh, 9th and 10th century, um, which connects the archipelago with India and China. And you can still see the traces uh, in food, uh, in particular. Who's yeah. been to Riel? Yes, Riel. I had one of the best meals in my life there. Seriously, in Where's Riel. That? In Riel, uh -huh. just the padang food and the and the uh -huh. roti tanai with the. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, most yeah. most Westerners would think, oh, it's Malaysian <laughs> food, but it's actually Indonesian food. Right. Outrageously yeah. delicious. Yeah. I mean, can you, can you fund me to write cookbooks in English of all these regions? <laughs> I'm happy to do that. I mean, we are, well, we are, uh, we're working together with uh, these gastronom uh, gastronomy associations. I mean, they're very much interested in, in, in uh, writing. I'll do it for you. <laughs> yeah. Donging stories, tales, uh, very important uh, as well. And Pantun, Pantun is a spe very special form of, of poetry, right? Next. Um, music, uh, we are trying to find the connections with Ghazal from Pakistan, uh, Turkey, and all that, because it's very strong uh, in that region. And I think if we... Uh, look at these different fields, uh, each of them have like particular methods and methodologies in order to find this connection and adding up to what we know already from the historical archaeological side. So it's a very um, interesting process in itself yeah, because it will bring together so many different skills, knowledges, like competencies and all that in order to reconstruct uh, the spice route to the fullest. So it's not simply an archaeological project, but it's really like interdisciplinary uh, in a way. Jakarta, for sure. And Jakarta, uh, the biggest challenge is that uh, to build the awareness of uh, people in Jakarta, because not many of us uh, are aware that we are actually living on a part city. Yeah, because we are so separate, because it's only like 10 minutes away from the center of the city, I mean, the harbor. But I bet that many of people who live in Jakarta never went to the harbor um, for many, many years. Yeah, so because there's, it's, it's, it's like um, what I call Arus Balik. Yeah, what is that? Like a reverse stream. Yeah, before. Uh, life was oriented towards the ocean, the sea, but in modern period we were looking inward yeah? and really detached from uh, maritime reality. Um, if you ask the Indonesians uh, how many of them can actually swim, yeah? we live in an archipelago, but how many of us can actually swim, then we'll, you will get like a small number of people. How many of them are willing to make a journey uh, on a boat? And it's probably even less than that. You know? Because we are so accustomed to, to um, the modern way of, of transportation, modern transportation, land, and also um, airplane and all that. So it's really like uh, fading away in our memory. And the idea of bringing uh, our spice through the festival to Jakarta is basically also that, no? Yeah. yeah.
Samarang is a very important uh, port in the 18th, 19th century. Kota Tua, yeah? Kota Lama, yeah. Kota Lama. Oh my God. Kota Lama of Samarang. We're, we're going to take a trip to Samarang. That's amazing too. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I think the mayor uh, and the vice mayor, the local government there, uh, did a very good job in the yeah. last uh, 10 years or so. Yeah. A really. Uh, put their energy investment into uh, renovate, not only renovating, revitalizing yeah. uh, the old city of Samarang. Yeah. I mean, before it was like neglected, you know, it is a place where you, no one would go, but now it is really an interesting, a beautiful place uh, to visit. Yeah. Next, Bali for sure, <laughs> yeah. But am I, am I, I there? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, while you're here in Bali, um, I would suggest you to uh, travel to the northern part of Bali, yeah. uh, to Sambiran, which is a site uh, from, uh, say, 2,500 years before present, wow. yeah? um, which shows also the connection that Bali had with India during that period. This is way before... Um, the modern Bali, not modern Bali, but yeah, the Bali that we know today. Like it's just like before the coming of the people from the eastern part of Java to Bali, 2,500 years ago. And I think there is a good um, archaeologist, Pa Ardiko. Yeah, I mean he's um, um, pa Wayan Ardiko. I mean he did that uh, research back in the 1990s. No, and I think. He might be an interesting person to talk to, to when it comes to like heritage here in, in, in Bali from the pre um, Majapahit period. Kamalama, yeah. that's the volcano in Ternate. Ternate, yeah. For that some reason, I don't know. <laughs> I did want to ask that. Is Ternate Tidore a part of this program? It is, yeah. 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 It's also part of the program. Because of the clove connection, yeah? Yeah. Wow. But here, we're also looking at uh, trying to extract uh, information about maritime life from classical tradition. I yeah. mean, yeah, like Bimaruchi, Inwayang, and all these, like um, all traditions, they have a lot of information about maritime life. Um, yeah. Next. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. Could you tell us a bit about slide. that? <laughs> I'm still trying to see if I can download my little video. Oh, I don't know if I can. Um, yeah, so we didn't really, we're probably running out of time anyway, but we didn't really talk about Ternate Entidore, yeah? Ternate Entidore also is very important because it has um, a very different story from Banda. They are both in the Maluku, not very far from each other, but very different story. While in Banda, it was like total occupation of that. While in Ternate, they were basically able to negotiate, like constantly. The Spanish, Portuguese, the Dutch, all of them came. But it had a longer um, tradition of polity, like having a state uh, in uh, Ternate and Tidore, the kingdoms of, of that. And which is, what is interesting, back in the 15th century, for example, um, Italy had a representative in Ternate yeah, to show how important it was for the Europeans at that time, right? 
So, um, which makes also, I think, Tonati and Tudor special in our project uh, because there was so much uh, from the Indonesian side uh, to tell. Yeah? It's not only uh, history as seen from the Dutch sources, but you also have like very strong oral tradition and written um, sources that can be used to reconstruct the history. So it's, it's different from Banda in that sense, because after the genocide in Banda, uh, Banda was repopulated from people, with people from outside of, of uh, Maluku. Many of them come from Bhutan, uh, and yeah, Java as well, yeah. So it's a different, a completely different story uh, with Tornate and Tidore, yeah. Okay, I think, um, anyway, just before we go, any questions? I forgot to ask. Hi, Renee. UNESCO Heritage Site, I had to pay a lot of money to get in. And I was very glad to pay that money because once I got there, I went, oh my God, this is not a place where you want a lot of people going. And I find it very interesting that people in Banda were saying, mm, let's keep it hard to get here. And it seems like this special, this special aspects of that area could, could be gone forever yeah with the best of intentions to develop it and, and possibly put in a better airstrip or wh whatever that is. So <laughs> I guess, I'm sorry, long question, but are you considering steps to propose like a heavy uh, levy to even enter the area? Yes. Um, the last thing that you want is to alienate the local people from the project itself, no? So in order to protect that, because once it has been, uh, it's on the list as a word heritage, of course it will um, generate, I think, a, a more interest in, in, in Banda, from, not only from tourists, but also business people, right? So who would then invest in the island, etc. So one way of preventing too many people, like over-tourism, is to impose... Um, um, Levi and also um, other financial arrangements like what we are doing now in Borbudur. Yeah? So Borbudur, uh, now probably some of you have been to Borbudur. No? Um, in the future, you cannot climb the uh, monument anymore yeah, unless you pay a lot. Yeah? And the idea really is to uh, reduce the number of people stepping on the stones you know? because the carrying capacity of that monument of Borobudur is only like 1,000 uh, people a day. Right now, during the peak uh, season, then you will have like 50,000 people coming to that uh, and all of them is like standing on that monument, not know, actually knowing what it is about, like not really interested in the history, etc., etc., because there it's impossible for us also to organize that many tour guides, right? Um, it really has to uh, be reorganized. And I think um, uh, related to your question is that to increase like price would also limit access, but at the same time provides uh, opportunity to, to manage it better. Yeah? 
And Banda, again, is the same uh, uh, issue. Now you have um, ships, beautiful ships, Pinisis, yacht, and all that coming in, not paying anything, yeah? not a single penny to the local authorities, uh, while they're actually using the local resources, yeah? clean water and whatnot. No? So I actually talked to the uh, Bupati that um, in the future, I mean, really need to think about like how to manage this site like um, better by involving the local population, really thinking about uh, the financial aspect of that, yeah, to make it like um, really uh, into an integrated uh, management system, which doesn't exist right now. I mean, now it's really. People come there, they will pay whoever's house is closest to their uh, ship in order to get security and all that, but yeah, then it, it won't work. So that's what we are trying to do, yeah, to improve the management of the uh, site. I guess that's it. I'm still trying to show this video, so maybe in the next five minutes we'll get it. Look, what, what's my last message? And I'm feeling guilty that I don't know if my Venisi uh, boat that we travel in pays to the community in Bandanera. <laughs> I'll make a donation next time. But um, anyway, it's been fascinating, and uh, I've just loved hearing about all your amazing research. I mean, well done. Big, big round of applause for Pat Hilmar. And uh, best, of, best of success with your...